You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education, today being in conversation with Dr. Aditya Nagrath. Dr. Aditya Nagrath is a CEO and co-founder at Elephant Learning Math Academy. Elephant Learning was founded by two university mathematicians and based on hundreds of years of research, which we look forward to hearing about today. We're chatting with Dr. Nagrath about education technology, trends, and what's happening in the world of education. Welcome, Dr. Aditya. It's wonderful you could join us today. Can you introduce your passion for education technology? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thank you for having me, by the way. Well, yeah, we started Elephant Learning in 2016, and uh, the mission was to empower children with mathematics. And uh, basically, when I took it on, I was just thinking, if I can take the message that, uh, that I had just learned to the world and be successful doing it, then no matter what, the business would be successful. So do you have a love of mathematics? Was that always the first thing? Because you've done your PhD in mathematics. And so obviously there's been a love for maths or maybe it's an understanding connection that you have to it. I mean, it's kind of uh, an interesting story because, you know, I remember in the third grade, I maybe was struggling a little bit. I remember in, you know, first grade making mistakes and you know, my parents kind of getting upset, like, you know this, you should just be careful, right? That kind of stuff. And, you know, like uh, in the fourth grade, uh, I wanted to get into the advanced math course. That's what I remember. And I missed it by one point. And so they didn't let me in. So what I did was uh, I sat in the back of the class where it met. So she, she would just sit in the back of the class and then she would just go faster. And I think they actually got more homework problems. So it was division. And so like, I just looked at the book and I basically figured it out because division is just kind of the inverse operation for multiplication. And, you know, once you kind of see that, I didn't have the words for it, right? But once you kind of see that, you kind of get it. And I guess from there, what happened was I started uh, getting interested in computers. So when I was in middle school, I, uh, I was in a, like, I had taken all of the computer science courses they had, which was like word processors and typing. And so uh, that teacher kind of said, oh, well, I'll create another course for you. And he gave me a book on basic and he put me in a lab with Apple two GSs and I don't remember how long, but like a week or two later, there was other students. He went and recruited some people, but that's basically what it was. We had the book and we just have to figure it out. And uh, after that, when I got into high school, I decided that I would just try to learn C++. So I went and got some materials on that and taught myself C++. So yeah, I mean, I guess that turned into like a passion for computer science. And then what you end up learning is that computer science is a division of mathematics. So you end back up in mathematics no matter what. And then you did your PhD. What did you specialize actually in with your PhD when you did your thesis? It, it was algebra. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so quite complex. It, I mean, so algebra as a, as a as field a of studies. I mean, yeah, I was, I was 
kind of thinking like as a field of study, like if you look at it as a branch, like if you look at mathematics, there's uh, like analysis, there's algebra, that's a bit, it's a big category, right? Like inside of that, there's a lot of subcategories. So specifically it was lattice theory. Uh, I had several papers on lattice theory. My thesis was on that. Lattice theory. So let's, so can you tell me about how elephant learning began? What was the inspiration? So you've got the love of mathematics and that came from, I suppose, was it being empowered or disempowered at the start by not being into not being put into that grade and then you've you've actually i suppose intrinsically motivated yourself to push yourself into a love of this so how did we begin elephant learning yeah so i mean elephant learning uh i met with uh, a professor of mine and really the the backdrop to this is that um at this point i've started a contract software engineering firm and actually i'm i'm looking to transition out but I've also joined a, an entrepreneur group and a lot of the speakers that are coming in and talking to the entrepreneur group are talking about double or triple bottom line companies. And I'm going to tell you the story about one of them just because like it, it really makes it concrete. So the name of the company is Plastic Bank and the guy was watching TV in the 2000s and saw the piece of plastic out in the Pacific Ocean the size of Texas and thought there's no way that's not worth money. And so he literally designed a business where people in India pick up the plastic as it washes ashore, and then they deposit it in the plastic bank, which he, he pays them two cents per, per pound or whatever. And, uh, and then he recycles it and he gets nine cents a pound and it's a $200 million company. And what I thought was interesting about this was that like, A, it's approaching a problem that like typically government would approach. But then at the same time, the game is built in such a way that like everyone wins, like the, as the environment wins, you know, the people who are picking it up win and the people, you know, like the company, they win. And there's a, a tangible bottom line, which is literally driven by the environmental impact and the social impact of, you know, like, I guess these people were getting paid more than they would get paid in the shop to do this. So like the social impact of the, the economic impact of uh, having them pick it up. So when I met with my professor, basically what he told me was that four out of five students start kindergarten unprepared for the kindergarten curriculum. It, it took me a minute to even figure out what that meant. It, it means that they don't understand what the numbers are. So like they could just be saying the numbers out loud, which to be honest with you, like until he said that I had not given it more thought that was going to be my, you know, standard for my son who was on the way, by the way, my wife was pregnant while we were doing this. So congratulations, and... she's not having it while we were doing this. <laughs> that was like five years ago now. <laughs> and, um, and, and so I was like, okay, so, they, so they, they haven't associated the idea of the quantity to the word is what it is in language. And, and what this causes is basically a travesty because so it's more they'll get it. Sorry, it's a school readiness. So the children are not ready. They're not school ready. They've got that. We could, you know, when you look at mastery of a subject, so do you scuba dive or do you swim? So they're swimming on top, understanding that there is numeric values there, but they don't actually know what a numeric value is. Similar well, to so like if you say five and the student can slide over five and stop on five, you know that they have a recognition of it. If they just say one, two, three, four, five, and you say, well, they can count to five. So like the, the challenge is, is like, what is meant by counting to 10? So 
what he explained to me was that the kindergarten standard for counting to 10 uh, was, you know, slide over 10 things and stop on 10. And uh, what most people think counting to 10 is, is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. And, and that's, that's, I should have said it that way. That's how I typically say it, right? But like, <laughs> I tried to summarize it somehow with bigger words. Um, but like that, that gap, right? Like that skill gap right there, that understanding gap, which is, I mean, what it is, right? Like it's a very solid understanding. If you say, give me four forks and the, and the, and the child's able to do that versus the other one, right? The counting. And so what ends up happening is that in kindergarten, they start with counting to 20. So if you don't understand counting to 10, you're not going to understand counting to 20. And they take children along from there. So like what ends up happening is that the children get moved along from grade to grade because it appears as though they're meeting standard, right? Like we teach them techniques to just pass the standard. But on top of that, we also have uh, as maybe a society, and I don't want to say anything negative, it's not negative per se, right? But we have a tendency to care about how the student's going to feel about being held back. Uh, we want them to move on. But what this ultimately causes is a situation where on average, children can be two to three years behind from a conceptual level. So what that means is that you could be sitting in third, fourth, or fifth grade, but have an understanding of a first, second, or third grader. So like, imagine what that looks like, right? You're a third grader trying to learn multiplication whose understanding of the number system is, I don't understand addition. <laughs> no, the key That's foundation an... skills aren't there. They haven't learned, I mean, if you do not in maths, if you don't learn those key foundation skills, then, you know, as you did your PhD in algebra, everything builds on top of that. So you well, think about it this way. The definition of multiplication is repeated addition. So if you don't know what addition is, <laughs> it's, it's game over, right? So <laughs> that's, that's kind of the thing here is that like, so like as we're learning the language, right? English uh, in this case, but mathematics, which tends to be more universal. Yeah. yeah. The concepts build on top of each other. And that's, that's what I'm understanding is like, oh, well, this is the first grade reading level. This is the second grade reading level. This is the third grade reading level, right? So like how many concepts can you build on top of the prior concepts? And so, yeah, like this, this ends up being a problem because it's not that the students never understand it. I mean, obviously everyone learns to add because they have to deal with money at some point. And it's just, if you would have learned it in the first grade and then thought to yourself, you know, I'm good at this, then the outcome is completely different from an educational perspective. So when you use something like Elephant Learning Math Academy, it's more like it builds the concept or understands the gaps of students or is it age-based? Is it curriculum-based? How does it actually work? Yeah, absolutely. So for us to build an effective program, what we ended up having to do was creating a, a placement mode. And the placement mode was intended to start behind your student and so like, we're very kind of uh, conservative on the settings. So like, for example, if you say, I'm in the third grade, well, we test you to see if you're good with the first grade, right? Like, yeah. We test you out of, the, out of the addition stuff and it's a test out. So it goes very, very quickly, but this way we're building confidence as the student comes into the system um, and the parent can choose the level. So if you know your student's more advanced, you can set it ahead. If you know that your student might be, you know, even further behind, you can set it back. And the first grade exam tests the student from the beginning. So if you just don't know, you can always just set that. 
And then the idea is, is that once we've found their level, we can start building on top of it. So really, I mean, what we're doing is, is we're building the whole thing in the right order so that the student can, can understand the teacher in the classroom. Kind of, you know, learning how to, I suppose, crawl before you can, what do they say, walk before you can run or crawl before you can walk type thing. So you're building on each stage of the learning patterns and you can see exactly where the gaps are. So do they recognize, program obviously has and I'm I'm not uh, a tech software savvy person so I'm going to call it an algorithm because they have an algorithm that recognizes and you can get you can change you can tell me exactly what it is but an algorithm that recognizes that say this block doesn't go there and so they're missing they don't actually know how to understand additions so we're going to go back to these simpler versions or they're guessing it and then getting you know 50% right 50% wrong type thing can it recognize no, all it, it's that first thing that you said I mean you that's, that's what the algorithm was designed to do, was to find the gaps. Think of it this way, right? So like, and, and this is ultimately what it is. So like, for example, if I'm testing you out of addition and subtraction, and I, and I start to hand you the most challenging questions we have, uh, they're gonna look a lot like maybe uh, word problems, but like it's gamified, it's a visualization of it. And in this case, what we do is we, I believe, put up two groups of uh, objects, different quantities. We ask which one has more and how many more. And that means that the student has to be able to look at this, uh, understand uh, which, which of the two columns has more. So they have to be able to recognize the quantities. Um, and then they have to be able to subtract and understand that subtraction is the tool that you use to solve this problem. Then you will recognize so, the pattern of if it doesn't, or if they can't get it right or wrong, or if they're struggling with these sort of answers or the language it's used. So yeah, if they don't, if they don't answer that correctly, right, then we assign that subject. So, okay, this is where you are. <laughs> yeah. You see what I'm saying? And, yeah, and then from there, yeah, like on a more detailed basis, we are, we're trying to figure out where are they exactly and what is the next idea that makes sense and you know even more than that we're, we're trying to determine do they get this because if they get this then this is going to start to feel repetitive so sometimes you might hear the complaint about our program that it's repetitive and you know that can happen for several reasons right like one the student got it two maybe it's an older student right so like it, we've had students who are maybe nine years old come into our system test out at the six-year-old level and then over three months, climb back to their age and then a year beyond. And the reason why is because they've seen this throughout the world. They've still had all those math experiences in the classroom. They may not have made sense at the time, but they make sense now. Mm -hmm. And so like they might get it and now it's easy. So like there's this way to put any subject back into the test out mode because whatever the reason is, well, guess what? We can move them along even faster, right? We can put them right back into placement and if it turns out they're ready for multiplication all of a sudden because they got it, well then great, let's put them there. No, I completely understand. I completely understand impact. And you talk about empowerment of maths. So you're trying to empower the learner. Is it like through you're like intrinsically motivating or by the gamification or the experiment experiential learning? I've heard you speak about this quite a few times. Yeah. So empower means to allow that person to see their power. And the thing is, is that mathematics is extremely powerful. And this is kind of maybe something that like, I don't know, society doesn't necessarily buy into, 
because you always hear the question, when am I going to use this kind of story, right? And then you turn on CNBC and they're talking about percentages and derivatives. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, I don't know, Every when are you going to use this? Every day. Well, I mean, 90% yeah. of parents want their child to have a finances course in high school. And so much so that like, I've seen recently in the news that that's there, but like, if they don't have the foundational mathematics, they're not going to understand the finances, which is ultimately what the challenge is to begin with. So like, if we could make the connection as a society, right? Like, yes, everything dealing with money is going to be, you know, math mathematics, but then realizing also that like beyond that, right? When we throw out statistics for like how effective a vaccine is, for example, right? Like, understanding what is the risk mitigation and understanding, you know, like how many people and what does that mean? Those kinds of questions, right? It, it's honestly, if you get past algebra, it's on the surface and it's not actually challenging to get people past algebra because again, they use it on a daily basis to solve problems. We always talk about maths as being an international language. So we run a few programs for with a charity and they provide, they, they go into a lot of say underdeveloped areas and schools and countries and provide mathematical, maths as the language, the international language, because their belief is, is that it'll be able to get them to have that one, they'll be able to barter differently. They'll be able to barter fairly. They'll be able to use that language to get, or to use to be able to further their life or break cycles you know, low socioeconomic cycles and things like that. So, I mean, yeah. I completely see what you're talking about when it comes, maths is everyday language. You walk out the street, you see numbers, letters, you see phone numbers, all of it. I mean, it's all numbers, it's recognition or you're putting them together as you're saying. And maybe this has definitely been the year of, you know, working out which, I don't know about the USA, but in the UK it's been, which countries, which local area is going into lockdown due to how many hundred thousand percentage people have got COVID within that time and stuff. So you're sort of always trying to pre-guess what's been happening, our school's going to close. And it's definitely been the, the, the year like no other. But with that, I would know, have you seen a growing trend for parents looking for extra help, like with programs like Elephant Learning or Extra Tutorials for the last 12 months? So, I mean, growing? that's kind of all I see because we're actually <laughs> providing the result that we promised, right? I mean, that's kind of what I meant when I said, look, I'm going to empower the children with mathematics. And I, I want to bring it back there just for a second, because I got, I got off on the tangent of the tool, right? <laughs> but really, the empowerment's about getting the student to see their own power around it, too, right? So it's, it's seeing the math as a tool, and then seeing their power with the tool. Because that's the other half of it, where like, if you are in one of these situations where you don't understand the teacher, the stories that you start to tell yourself, uh, the negative self-talk, that's what's actually starting to hold you back in the end. And if you can see your power and you can get confidence and ultimately it boils down to if you can understand the teacher, right? So that's the piece we provide. So if you can understand the teacher, well, now you see your power. And so it's really about, you know, allowing that student to see what their power is with this because what you end up finding out is that like this is kind of one of the most useful tools out there right now and empowering tools now you've been talking about the why method for teachers so do you want to explain this that why the why method do you want to explain the why method <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm actually going to tell you the story of how we got the why method because that's okay. more fun love to hear <laughs> We, we, got, we got through fourth grade built out and 
Um, now things are starting to get more complicated. And so like students need help. And so what we found out was that sometimes uh, parents are helping the students, not that they're doing anything wrong, right? They don't know. And so like we start communicating and saying, yeah, by the way, don't help your student this way. But tell Alvaro, but like, so what do we do, right? Because like, on the one hand, right, like our system needs to be able to uh, help these kids. But on the other hand, we, we want to make sure that like we're still building it under the paradigm of empowered children with mathematics. And we're looking at it and he's saying, well, for a lot of these questions, there's a common reason why the student answers incorrectly. Uh, and we could just use that to provide them with the hint. We don't want to show them how to do it because then they'll remember how to do it. But if, uh, if we provide them a hint and they overcome it on their own, then they still have that aha method. Uh, or sorry, they still have that aha moment, right? So they yeah. still like got the, and I was like, okay, good. So I see what you're after. I go, so I'll think about what you're saying. And uh, I thought about it and it, it, didn't, it didn't work because if it's 60% and I, that other 40%, they get that hint and it's not the right hint, then you know, it's just as bad as not giving them a hint. So I said, well, what do I tell the parent? And he says, well, here's what we recommend. Here's what's recommended in the research is when the student answers incorrectly, ask them why they think that's the right answer. And uh, when they answer why, uh, you're going to see what they don't understand and you're going to know whether to give them a hint or uh, whether to clarify the language. And that's what it ends up being is a, a clarification in the language. So like a good example was uh, someone had the question that I talked about earlier with the two groups and it says, well, how many more does the, the left column have? And the student uh, was answering with the number in the left column. So they weren't recognizing that the language of how many more sort of meant the difference. And so once the parent clarified that, of course, the student uh, started moving on from there. But it's, a, it's an example of how powerful it is because it, it, it allows you to help the student without either A, giving them the answer or B, showing them how to do it, which ultimately the problem is, is when you show them how to do it, that how is the idea that we're trying to get them to understand. Like with mathematics, right? Like the, the, the idea of the quantity, it's, it's a lot like teaching the child the colors except that like the idea has to happen in their head. You can't show, like you have to show them three things and they have to understand you're talking about the quantity in the same way that you show them red things and they have to understand you're talking about the color. And yeah, so like- absolutely. So bring it back when to hands-on learning as well. Bring right, so when, so when you're talking about something like the difference, like the subtraction, right? They have to actually understand it. So like if you tell them, oh, this is how you do it. You start at this and you count and then, you, right? they may not get it. They may just implement that strategy. And it's a way to A, defeat the system, but B, it's also a way to defeat the system in school if they can remember at the right moment. So it's teaching the children to think. So it's co the cognitive development, which is something that's really important, it, teaching them it, how to think rather than telling them how to think. It, it's, not, it's not even about teaching them so much how to think as it is having them have that idea and, and then labeling it, right? So like the student will have that idea because I mean, the, the quantities are right in front of them, right? That's the whole point is like, we've made it concrete. It's very physical. That's the, that's the experiential learning is I have 10 things, someone took away five yeah. things, right? Okay, this is how many I have left. 
So like they, they have that experience, but then they have to connect it to the written 10 minus five, right? So once, once they have that experience, they will have the idea. It's not like they have to learn how to think so much, but once they have the idea and you label it, then what it is is a tool. You see what I'm saying? So like, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's an idea they can use to solve a problem where, oh, in this case, I need to subtract. So let's just do it. Absolutely. One thing I was going to talk to you about today is that for two, like for a two-year-old, I know the elephant's going for two to 16 and that's a big gap. I mean, as you said, you did up to, what was it, year five and year four? So that's around about nine to 10 year olds, I suppose. There's the- uh, uh, We covered through algebra currently and we're adding more uh, right now. We're, we're about to put in the polynomials. We're gonna do an introduction to coding. And uh, honestly, with the amount of algebra that we've already got in there, we can teach you financial math. So we'll do that too uh, right now. And then that way uh, the student's kind of getting, you know, some practice some play, but also getting the concepts that the parent wants them to learn. So, I mean, if that's uh, important to people, then let's put it in there because why not? We can do it. So is it all on, on screens? Is it on screen touching things? Is it writing? How does it actually, how does elephant learning work? Is it, so, you know, the actual concept of it, is it like a, you go on, do a whole gamification, they keep your scores and, you know, it's through games or is there, you know, they're actually teaching aspects where you've got pre-recorded teaching and then you watch, or, you just, or is it, how does it actually work, Dr. Deacon? Sure. So for the elementary subjects, so through fractions, uh, we do it as a gamification and uh, it feels like a puzzle game. It feels like Angry Birds. Yeah. Once you've crossed a certain threshold of understanding, we then uh, move on to algebra. And then, so like before that, you can choose your character each time you come in, but like every character plays all of the activities. So the activities are being generated by the learning engine, right? So the engine says, this is the activity you should do next. And there's some randomness to it, right? Cause like we have a whole bunch of open questions for the students so we can just randomly choose from the open questions and it keeps it uh, interesting for the student, right? So. Uh, that, that's what it is. And then we get into algebra and then it's kind of, we started to add some videos, but really what it is, is that algebra and pre-algebra, as far as it's concerned from the schooling system, is really kind of the introduction to written mathematics, but it's not considered that way, right? By the teachers or maybe even by the standards. I'm not hundred percent sure, right? Cause like the standards could say the right thing. But like by people in general, right? Like we, we approach it from the angle of how do you do it? But really we should be approaching it in the same way that we teach children how to write. It's just, it's a little bit more complicated because I mean, you have to introduce the ideas uh, using language, but then they have to have that prior understanding because otherwise whatever you're writing down doesn't make a lot of sense. And ultimately the jockeying for the teacher between the people who don't get it and the people who do get it cause ambiguity to be introduced, which just makes everyone confused. So what we do is we introduce it through written format. And the first video basically says, yeah, I mean, it's a written language. So the only way you're gonna learn it is by reading it, right? I could give you videos of it, but the definitions are here and they're written. And then, the game becomes, can you identify true statements and false statements, which is ultimately the game of mathematics uh, from that point on. 
which you're either into or you're not. I mean, most kids. The thing is, <laughs> let's be frank. Most kids love a bit of screen time, and and you know, if you tell them it's learning, and they've got, but they get bonus time. Is that how it works generally in a household? <laughs> it's not so much that. I mean, the research shows that children are actually into mathematics if they get it right. That's the whole idea of of if if we can if we can match them at their level, right? Then it becomes like a puzzle game. It's not uncommon. For example, Sudoku. A lot of people play Sudoku. Yeah. So like, uh, it's it's about like the problem solving and the right like math is just so broad. Also, like in what what we do, because like a lot of people think it's just about the numbers, but like the mm-hmm. logic, the, the 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 whole like there's game theory, there's analysis of games, there's analysis of probabilities, there's analysis of casino games, there's anal- right like there's just so much out there, and it's all related, right? Like the analysis of the casino game and the analysis of the pandemic virus, honestly, you're not using very many different concepts there. So like if they're applicable all over the place. So like truth has always been very useful for me. You know what I mean? So like most people are actually into finding out what's true. And I guess what I'm saying is, is that like, if you play that game, what you end up learning is a whole bunch of stuff from a perspective that honestly is a lot more real, a lot more simple and a lot more useful than the contexts that are being taught Um, outside of our system that's true there is a you know there's a saying that dr paul swan has and he believes that he just does he's a mathematician and he believes that the major issue for children of where they're being let down from in schools is they don't understand the language of mathematics so they can learn a number they can learn basic additions and stuff but when you put it into a word problem problem sorry is that's where a lot of them get lower results because they don't actually take the language and mathematics together. So he always believes in teaching children the, the language of maths, he calls it. Is this something that you've ever thought about or is it something that you probably cover? It's probably just it's, a basic. Yeah, no, that's that's what we do. So when, when you ask us what we do, we say that we teach you mathematics from the perspective of a language. How many children on average do you have using this per month at the moment? I don't know that for sure because uh, I don't have that on the dashboards that I'm tracking. We do track basically uh, the top line as how many months of mathematics have we thought have we taught. So I know that we've oh, crossed. Yeah. I think uh, one hundred and forty-five thousand, maybe. Uh, I think we're approaching one hundred and fifty, uh, and I know that we've had uh, one hundred and twenty-five thousand some students who took the placement exam and that were placed. So how many of them used it after that? It's hard to say. But, you know, on average, just based on placements, we're teaching over a year of math. On average, when we measure it, if you use it 30 minutes per week, you learn a year and a half in 10 weeks. That's amazing. That's really amazing. But how can people learn more about um, elephant learning or even become involved? So do you have contact? How can they contact you or contact the company? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you can have me on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm accepting most of the invites. Um, you can do that. Just search me out. But like, uh, if you're looking for elephant learning, uh, just Google elephant learning or go to elephantlearning.com and uh, you'll be able to get started just right there. Are you across different languages? Is it made, or it's in English? It is across, how, where is it based everywhere in the world, anywhere in the world? Yeah, I mean, you can use it from anywhere in the world, but we're only doing mathematics in English right now, which uh, I mean, to be honest with you, is probably sufficient, but it would be more convenient, obviously, for, for it to be in localized languages. It's just a lot more challenging of a problem to solve.
<laughs> it doesn't always translate the same. Have you ever tried it with Google Translate and all of it? It doesn't always trans translate exactly how you want it. I've had many experiences like that. Thank you so much for chatting with us today, Dr. Ditya Nagraf. And good luck for the elephant learning for the next few months and for your next projects, building it big and beyond. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. There are so many exciting developments happening right now in education. EDX Education would love to hear from you, so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, and so many more. This podcast series is brought to you by Heather Welch from EDX Education, as she'd like to say, let's create lifelong learners. <laughs>